0: Well, good morning once again. Glad you're here with us at Carolina Family Church. Um, there you go. Get a little extra. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I introduced. I don't think I introduced myself before. But my name is John, and I'm the pastor here at Carolina Family Church. Really glad that you're here with us. And uh, as I mentioned during the music, we are um, in a series called Church on Purpose right now. And um, and I want to talk about the idea the idea of hope today, if we can. And in order to talk about hope. I want to talk about guitars. <laughs> okay. Now, some of you, I mean, I'm a musician, all right? I was, I was singing and playing a little bit today, but I love, I love music, and uh, some of you probably know this about me. I'm, I'm not shy about it, and some of you may not, but I'm also a little bit of a craftsman. I love uh, woodworking, so I build furniture and, and do things like that, and Jess loves it because I do all kinds of things around the house. But a couple years ago, I decided that I was going to take my love of music and my love of building stuff and put them together. And so, two years ago, Rosie was born. That's right. That's her name, Rosie. Okay. And, and I, I knew that, well, frankly, I couldn't afford to buy an electric guitar. So I thought, well, maybe I could just build one. <laughs> and, and I had this picture on my head of what Rosie was going to be. She was going to be beautiful. And she was going to play like a dream. It was going to be the most amazing guitar anybody had ever picked up and put in their hands. And so I had it all laid out, the design. It was going to be, she was going to be the whole black body. All the blacked out hardware, so the black control plate and the, and the bridge and the hardware up here. And then to contrast that, I was going to get a rosewood, that's why she's called Rosie, a rosewood pick guard, because right, I love rosewood. My my uh, acoustic that I have, the back and sides are all solid rosewood. and So I wanted the rosewood pick guard, and, uh, and then I was going to get the headstock to match the whole, so it was just kind of flow, rosewood, fingerboard, and uh, and fretboard, and we're just going to flow all the way up, and it was, it was going to be the most incredible, and it was going to sound amazing, so I, so I researched everything. I researched the pickups and getting the right pickups, because that's probably what matters most next to the person who's actually playing it, and, uh, and uh, I found this guy in Greece that would make a rosewood pickguard for me, so he laminated this out of three sheets of rosewood, and I got him to send me an extra piece, and so I took that extra piece, and I actually laminated the headstock with it. So this is the same wood up here that's down here on the, on the pickguard. And uh, it just, I got the, uh, the, this is a neck, it's an all parts neck, those of you that aren't musicians won't care about this, but uh, it's an all parts neck, it's a big fat neck, it's called the baseball bat neck, and it just feels really good in your hands, it's a full inch thick, and it just, I did a a true oil finish, which true oil is actually a gunstock finishing oil, and so, yeah, it's finished with gunstock oil, that's pretty cool, and and so it feels really good, it looks really good, and when I was done with it, I just looked and I said, this is Everything I ever wanted a guitar to be, I will never need another guitar in my entire life. And so I took it down. Those of you that don't know anything about guitars, you have to take a guitar when it's done to get set up, which is where uh, somebody who knows what they're doing sets the heights on all of this stuff to make sure that the strings are the right distance off the, you know, so that it's not like you're trying to push the string down six inches to get it to play. So you got to get it all set up. So I took it down to, the, to a guy, Eric, down at Oasis uh, School of Music in China Grove. He's amazing. And so I took it down to Eric, and I said, all right, man, can you set this up for me? And he said, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, get, it, I'll get it playing like a dream. I was like, "Yes, yeah, that's going to be sweet. So um, he called me up, and he said, hey, can you come in and get it? I said, yeah, sure. So I came in a day or two later. came in, and he said, hey, I got good news and I have bad news. i like, oh, no. <laughs> well, well, all right, good news first. <laughs> he said, all right, the good news is it looks great. what's the bad news he said it's never gonna play great like what what do you mean it's never gonna play great And he told me that when the uh when the there's inside a guitar neck you may not know this but there's a truss rod it's a it's it's a piece of metal that runs inside of the guitar neck and you can tighten it or loosen it and that lets the guitar neck bow or straighten whatever you need to do in order to get it to play right he said well when the when the truss rod was installed it wasn't installed correctly so it's all the way open. So he said, I can't give the guitar the bend or the relief that it needs in order to play right. I was like, You gotta be careful. I've already finished the neck. I've already laminated the headstock with the only extra piece of rosewood that I have in order to do it to match the bit guard. And I said, Well, is there anything I can do? And he said, he said Well, he said, It'll never play right, but he said, You could, you could round a little bit out of the neck pocket and make this neck pocket a little deeper, and that'll pull the guitar you know, down. It'll play a little better, but he said it still won't play right. I was like, okay, how much, how much time would I take out? He said, I don't think you can take out enough. <laughs> said, okay, so, so I went home, and I got my router, and I, and I went at it, and, and I routed this thing down, and then I put the guitar neck in it, <laughs> and when I put the guitar in, the fretboard sat like half an inch in. <laughs> I'd, I'd, ru- I'd taken out too much. So, so now you can't tell it, but actually in the guitar neck, I've got spacers in here to help lift the guitar neck up to the height that it should be at. still not at the height it should be, but uh, I've got spacers in here. I ended up painting them black, hoping that nobody would notice. But it's just, it's, it's never played right. It's never going to play right like this. Every time I play it, all I can think of is the spacers that are in between the neck and the <laughs> guitar, and the fact that, that like, uh, you can't tell it, because when I'm up here, I'm just down here, and I'm playing rhythm for the most part, but I can't, you can't even hear a note up here at top. They're just totally dead at the top of the guitar, and... Uh, what I learned, what Rosie taught me is something that I've learned in, in the rest of life, is that oftentimes uh, the reality of life doesn't meet our hopes. It doesn't meet our expectations. We've got a picture of what our life's going to look like. It's going to be amazing. We've got a picture of what our relationships are going to look like. We've got a picture of what our funny. Like. We have a picture of what our career is going to look like, and what I've learned is that reality, in fact, I don't know, rarely matches. My hopes and expectations. And uh, that's true of Rosie. But this is the last time you're going to see Rosie like this, by the way, because Rosie's about to get a makeover. All right, Rosie's, about to get, Rosie's about to get a brand new body and a brand new neck, okay? So next time, Jess is like, well, that's a brand new guitar. No, no, no. The spirit, the spirit of the, the guitar lives outside of any one part of the guitar, you know? So, but anyway, so she's going to get a makeover, and this time it'll be perfect. <laughs> probably not. No, what, what I've learned is that hope is in short supply. Maybe you've experienced that too. And that while you feel like you have all these great things going on in life and you still you get in relationships and all this sort of stuff and start making money and get into a career and all this, you would think that as time goes on and you start achieving some of those dreams that you have, that your hope would increase over the course of your life. And actually, I found that that's not true. That life has a way of suffocating hope. And that for many of us, the more life we get under our belt, the less hope we actually have. We experience disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Um, you guys, I'm going to grab, grab TJ's mic, okay? Yeah, there you go. Oh, you know, I've learned in life that sometimes things don't go like you expect them to. <laughs> in my head, this message was going to be perfect. I mean, start to finish, flawless. Life has a way of doing that to you, has a way of suffocating that hope. And what I want to show you today, what we're going to talk about, you know, our mission is to, to know God, to find hope, to live free, and to do good. And what I want you to see today, I want you to learn today, if you didn't already know this, is that there is a hope that's available to you that is completely reliable, there's, there's something you can hope in that will never let you down and that actually, if you focus on it, will increase over time that you can find yourself becoming more and more hopeful and more and more joyful as time goes on. And we're going to learn that from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Our whole mission statement comes out of Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. We went over that as a whole in the first week of this series. That was two weeks ago, and I want to encourage you, if you weren't here two weeks ago, if you haven't heard that message yet, to make sure that you watch that one because it lays the groundwork for our mission as a church, and it's really important if you're going to be a part of our church family to understand that uh, so that you can move forward in unity with us. So, Um, So if you uh, have not watched that one, make sure that you do. Um, And we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start with just one verse. It's verse 18. Um, And if you're new to the Bible, Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's toward the back, so just head toward the back and and make your way there. Um, These these letters, when you see like Ephesians and Colossians and Corinthians and Philippians and these letters, what they are are letters that um, a guy named Paul wrote to churches that he helped to start. And so when you see Ephesians, it's just Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. They're the Christians who are in the city of Ephesus. And so he's trying to encourage them. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We read the whole thing, and then we'll, just, we'll take a little bit of time on each part. Ephesians 1, 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Let's talk about each piece of that. First of all, he says that we need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Because we all are born with and then are reinforced by society and our environments. We all have a certain way of looking at the world. And when we start to know God and understand him, which we talked about last week, he begins to change the way that we look at the world to transform our thinking, the eyes of our heart, that's really what it's talking about, our spirit and our soul and our mind and all of that, that we need to have it enlightened. We need to change the way we think. You see, our problem is that we walk through life putting our hope in things that can let us down. We walk through life and we put our hope in people. That's one of the biggest things. And as reliable as people can be and as many promises as people can make, I think we all know that people have the capacity, at the very least, to let us down. Yet we still put our hope in them. And our joy comes from when things are going well with that relationship, and our fear or sadness comes from when things are not going well. We put our hope in all kinds of people, like we put our hope in our spouse. (laughs) I I think I'm I'm convinced that we expect our spouse to do more than they are capable of doing, (laughs) and we put our hope in them. We put our hope. We might put a hope in a brother or sister or a parent, or uh, you might put your hope in your boss. Like when you took your job, they made promises to you that if you you worked this certain way and you followed this certain path and this certain future was gonna be ahead of you, you were gonna get the manager's position or the supervisor's position, or you were gonna get to go from third to first or whatever if you just if you did all these things and you know what? Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't happen like that. We put our hopes in all kinds of things. You know the Winter Olympics are coming up. We are gonna, as a nation, we are gonna put our hopes on the backs of snowboarders. Think, I want you to think about that for a second, just for a minute. We are going to put our hopes and our dreams in snowboarders, and we are going to cheer and be full of joy when they win, and we are going to be extremely sad when they lose. I love the Olympics, by the way, and I'm not lying. I will be up and down through that entire season. I will need your support. All right? Some of you, and we put, all, we put our hope in all kinds of people. Some of, you have, some of you have put your hope in a particular contestant on The Bachelor. I would just say don't. I'll just say, don't do that, you know? We put our, we put our hope in, in uh, politicians, right, who, of course, can let us down. Is, is this sounding silly to anyone? Right? This, but this is what we do. We put our hopes in our friends. We put our hopes in our leaders. We put our hopes in whoever. And when things are going really well, we're full of joy and everything's great. But when they let us down, things go very, very badly. And the more hope we put in them, the harder that fall ends up being. We put our hopes in lots of things. One of the things we put our hope in is money. Right? If I could just get more, if I could just get to this certain income level, if I could just get in this much in the bank, then finally I'll be comfortable. Finally I'll feel good about where I am. Finally I'll feel secure and not have to worry all the time. Because we put our hope in, in money. I heard about a woman who, she figured out the loophole in that whole system. Um, she was praying once and she said, God, um, I've heard that to you um, a million days is like a second. Is that true? And God spoke back to her. She couldn't believe it. But he spoke back. He said, yeah, that's true. She said, oh, um, God, I've I've, I've heard that to you a million dollars is like a penny. And he said, yes, that's true. She said, that's great. God, could I have a penny? (laughs) He said, absolutely. Hang on a second. (laughs) No? (laughs) You know, it's very, you get that? Like a million years. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> it's, really easy, it's really easy for us to put our hope into those things. Temporary things, unreliable things. And, and what Paul is getting ready to say here, he's saying you need to have, we need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see something different. And what I want you to hear is that as much frustration, as difficulty as that has caused in my life, hoping in those things, and as much as it's caused in your life, that God has planned something better for us something completely reliable and something that can actually increase our hope over the course of time. What is it? Paul, let's keep reading. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, he says that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. That in order to understand what God has called us to, we have to open our eyes and see it. We got to want to see it. We got to accept it. This word call, I know it says uh, the that she's called you to. That's kind of a church word. We don't use that too much outside of church. Um, all it really means is invited. That God is inviting you to something better, a hope that's better. Now, um, anytime that I'm getting ready for a message, I always study the words in the passage because I want to make sure I really understand the scripture well before I teach on it. Obviously, um, you have to understand what the scripture says before you can understand what it says to you. So like, I want to know what it's really saying before I start trying to apply it. Um, and so I did a word study on the word hope here and found something really interesting. Um, when the Bible was written, when this was written in Greek originally, uh, the word that we translate to hope is the word elpis from Greek, elpis. And so I did a word study, as I, as I usually do, and I looked at the definition and it shocked me. Because the first line of the definition for the word that we translate to hope here is the expectation of Evil. The first definition of Elpis is the expectation of evil. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't think he's talking about expecting anything evil. And then I looked at the second line of the definition, and the second line said expectation of something good. So while we translate that to hope into English, because that's Paul's talking about expecting good, the word that he actually used can mean either expecting evil or expecting good. Sometimes I think the Greeks are smarter than us. But... uh, What it reminded me of as I was looking at that definition was that we all walk through life with expectations. We walk through life with either expecting good or expecting evil in our relationships and, all the stuff that we face. And when we walk through life expecting evil or expecting bad, what that creates is fear and anxiety, something I know that we all deal with. And so if we're dealing with fear and anxiety, maybe part of the problem is that our expectation is wrong. Because our sight is wrong. Because we're not looking at things properly. Because we've got our eye on the problem rather than being on something else. And so what what Paul is saying here is you need to have your eyes open so that you can see the good expectation that God invites you to. Well, what is that? What's the good expectation? He says it is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's what we're supposed to look forward to. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. If you're like me, you read that and you're like, what does that mean? (laughs) That's that's very beautiful and that's very poetic, Paul. But what in the world are you talking? Couldn't you be a little more direct for me here and just tell me what I'm supposed to be looking forward to? Riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What does that mean? Um, One of my favorite passages in the Bible, so you might be familiar with it, is in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Uh, we often call that we like to name things, so we often call that the the hall of faith because it 's just it 's this listing of people that we see in the Old Testament who lived by faith and the great things that God was able to do with them as they lived by faith. so it gives the first part gives some really uh, really great examples like Abraham it says abraham uh, God said, "Go to the place that i 'll show you," and Abraham by faith went he didn 't know where he was going, where God was leading him, but he had faith in God, and so he went it says um, that by faith, when God told him that something was going to happen that had never happened before, Noah believed God and built a boat because God said a flood was coming. And so by faith, Noah built the boat. He built the ark. And it says by faith, Sarah, though she was unable to have children, believed God when he said that she would have a child, and she did. And so you see all these great things that people did by faith, and you would think, man, isn't there hope then in the thing? Wasn't Abraham's hope in the land that God was going to take him to? Wasn't, Abraham, wasn't Sarah's hope in the child that God was going to give to her? Wasn't, wasn't Noah's hope in the dry ground that would be found on the other side of the ark and the other side of the flood? And Hebrews says no. After it gives those examples, the writer of Hebrews says, where their hope was placed was in a heavenly home that they did these things by faith, but that their hope was what God had promised of a heavenly home, which was way beyond any of those things. So Abraham's hope wasn't in the land he was going to. It was his heavenly home that God was going to take him to. Sarah's hope wasn't in the child she was going to have. Her hope was in the heavenly home that God was going to give to her. Noah's hope wasn't in the boat or in the water or in the dry ground on the other side. His hope was in the home that God had prepared for him. See, real hope comes from believing what God has promised you. Real hope comes from believing what God has promised you because God cannot let you down and will not let you down. So what we need to know in order to know where our hope is going to be is what has God promised us? What has he promised us? And that's an important question for us to answer because there's a whole lot of us that think God has promised us things he hasn't actually promised us. And then we get disappointed when those things let us down but he never promised them to us in the first place. So uh, I just want to go through a few of those things so we're clear. God has not promised you or me prosperity. He has not. He has not promised us wealth. I mean, you've got to reconcile that with Jesus who didn't even have a place to lay his head. We've never been promised wealth. We have not been promised physical health. There is nowhere that God promises that we won't get cancer. That's not a promise from him. God has not promised that that you will get the promotion that your boss has promised you. He's not promised you that you'll get an A on the test if you study really, really hard for it. He's not promised you that you will get into the college that you have always wanted to get into. He has not promised us gold medals at the Olympics, much as I hate it. He's not promised that you will meet the deadline that you have in front of you. He has not promised you that your children will behave when you're out in public and people are watching. He's not promised that. He's not promised that your team is going to win the game, and he has not promised that you're going to understand everything about life either. Can I tell you what he's promised you? He makes a promise to us on the cross. When Jesus dies on the cross and pays the penalty for our sin, he promises you forgiveness. That's a guarantee that if you turn to faith in Jesus Christ and you believe in his death for you on the cross, then the sin that separates you from God will be removed. And you can be forgiven, and you can bank on that. We see a promise in his resurrection. And that promise is that Jesus is always with you. God is always with you. No matter what you go through, there is nothing that you ever have to go through alone in life. Now, sometimes we choose to isolate ourselves. Sometimes we choose to go through things alone. But you never have to go through anything in life alone because Jesus is always with you. And that's a promise. He promises you forgiveness. He promises you he is always with you. And in his return, he promises you a heavenly home. That whether, whether Jesus Christ comes back here first or whether we go to meet him, whichever one happens first, He has promised you a heavenly home. Forgiveness, He is with you, and you have a home with Him. And those things cannot be shaken, and they cannot be taken away. They cannot be removed from you. There is nothing on earth that can separate you from that. And so you can take that to the bank. You can have confident hope in those three things, and they will carry you through everything in your life. Real hope is built on security. It's built on confidence. it's built on assurance, knowing that God will do what He has promised me, that He will do, and there's nothing that can shake it. And if you've never if you, if you don't have that confident hope today, I want to encourage you to get it. You can have it right now. If you, if you turn in faith to Jesus Christ and believe in His death for you on the cross, His resurrection, on the third day, you can believe in his, you can have that. Ask forgiveness of your sin and you're his child and you have forgiveness and God is with you and you have a heavenly home. Today, you can make that decision and have confidence in that and let that carry you through everything else. You know, Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, he's a guy who went through some hard stuff. Some really hard stuff that we can't even really fathom. I mean, we, we get upset over a test. We get upset over, a, over, you know, not getting the client at work. We get upset over our water pump blowing up on us. You know, we get upset over, you know, missing a day of work because we were snowed in. Snowmageddon in 2018, you know, upset we got to brush our car off. You know, Paul, uh Paul was thrown in prison for his faith. He was beaten for his faith. He was shipwrecked. He went through a, a horrible storm and was shipwrecked on an island, and he finally gets to safety, and a snake bites him, okay? It's like, if that's not bad enough, he gets bitten by a snake, and granted, he shakes it off like it's nothing, but Paul went through some really, really difficult stuff. And so when he says things like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, he's talking about resolve and confidence. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, <laughs> Paul is away with words. This light momentary affliction, he's in prison, that's all, no big deal. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they'll let you down, they'll pass, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That is confident hope from Paul. I was thinking about the Olympics this week, and I was actually thinking about the Summer Olympics, oddly, but um, I thought about Olympic hurdlers, you know, they have to cross these hurdles as they run their race. I was just thinking about that analogy for us, I think it holds really true, and so I I googled Olympic hurdlers and image searched, you know, and got all these pictures of these hurdlers all jumping over the hurdles at the same time, you know, and then a few people face plenty, which is kind of funny, but uh, not in the analogy, it's not funny when we do that, I'm just them. Um, But but they're all jumping over the hurdles at the same time. And I noticed something as I was looking at these pictures. You go home and Google this, you'll see the same thing. None of them are looking at the hurdle. None of them. They're looking up. They're looking at the finish line, not at the hurdle. Crossing the hurdle is just a matter of rhythm and timing and experience for them and practice. Their eyes are up and they're looking at the finish line. And I thought, what an analogy for us. That instead of looking at the hurdles of life, we're supposed to look up and we're supposed to look beyond. You see, hope doesn't just look forward, hope looks beyond. Hope looks beyond. And so I I had a phrase that I thought, man, if I put this phrase on a sticky note on my bathroom mirror, if I put this in my car, it might really change things for me. And I thought maybe it would change things for you too. This is the phrase. I find my hope in my home beyond my hardship. I find my hope in my home beyond my hardship. That I don't set my eyes on what's transient and what's temporary, but I set my eyes on what's ahead. I set my eyes on what God has promised me. He's promised me forgiveness. He has promised me he will be with me. And he has promised me a heavenly home. And I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on that. And allow that to pull me through all this stuff that I got to deal with in life. I find my hope in my home, beyond my hardship, and that gives you the kind of confidence that we see from a guy like Paul. That's what he did. I want to read to you. I want to read you some verses from Romans chapter eight, and I'm going to kind of jump around here a little bit just because there's some confusing stuff in here. We don't have time to explain, but um, I want to go to Romans eight, and you're going to hear from a guy who's been through. More difficult stuff than I'll ever go through. What confident hope can do for your mentality. All right, Romans chapter 8. Read verse 18. Listen to this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. I love that. That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That what I'm facing right now pales in comparison to what God has promised me. So why would I put my eyes on this? Why would I put my eyes on this when I can put my eyes on that? And he says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. And then in verse 31, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? And then in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, all of which he faced, by the way, shall that separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is confident hope. And if we're going to find that kind of hope, if our mission as a church is to find that hope together, it starts right here. It starts starts with me personally. It starts with you personally saying, I am going to choose. Instead of the expectation of evil, instead of being anxious, instead of thinking about everything that could go wrong, instead of thinking about how things could fall apart, and also instead of putting my hope on unreliable things in life, and letting my joy and my fear go up and down with the changing of the winds, I am going to put my hope in the promise that God has made to me, that he forgives me, that he is with me, and that I have a heavenly home. And if we can face everything in life with that kind of confident hope, that's how we get to do what we talk about next week. Live free. And so I want to encourage you today to make that your commitment, because I'm making it my commitment that I am going to look, I'm not going to look at the hurdle, I'm going to look past the hurdle. I'm not just going to look forward, I'm going to look beyond. And I'm going to find my hope in my home beyond my hardship. All right, let's pray. Let's ask God to do this in our hearts today, to, get, to open our eyes to enlighten us, so we can see this hope. God, we come to you and we love you. And understand that, uh, that life has a way of stealing our hope because you know, you know this about us. We put our hope into things that are unreliable. We put our hope in things that can fail us. And we're always setting ourselves up for a letdown. Thank you that you loved us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us to pay for our sin. Thank you that he rose again on the third day. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise to be with us. God, that you would never leave us and you'll never forsake us. And thank you that you promise us a heavenly home with you. And I ask God that you would enlighten our hearts so that we can know the hope to which you have invited us, to which you've called us. That we could experience the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. That we would look not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. That we would look not to the things that are in front of us, but to the things that are beyond, that you promised us. And no matter what we might face on earth, whether it's a relationship issue, or a physical issue, or a financial issue, or a career issue, or an education issue, or whatever it may be. That we would always be able to look past and rely on your hope. And that it would bring us joy. We trust you, God, to follow through on your promises. And we rely on them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.